Welcome to the Colorado Sports Guys podcast. This is your Colorado Sports Week in Review. The Denver Broncos have hired Jack Del Rio to be the new defensive coordinator of the team. Colorado Avalanche finished last week with a 2-2 two and two record. They are currently 26-23 and 23 in ninth place out west with 54 mm. points. Mm-hmm. They had wins against the Panthers and a win in Los Angeles against the Kings, losses at Anaheim and versus the Minnesota Wild. This week, they have three games, Tuesday, January 31st at Edmonton, Thursday, February 2nd versus Minnesota, and Saturday, February 4th versus Vancouver. Your Denver Nuggets finished <laughs> with a 2-1 and one record last week. Oh. They're now 14-6 and six in second place out west. Wins against the Sacramento Kings and Toronto Raptors, and a loss last night, Sunday evening, to the Los Angeles Clippers. Five games this week for the Nuggets, Tuesday. They play at Memphis. Thursday, they're in Los Angeles to face those Clippers again. Friday, they come home to play the Los Angeles Lakers. Saturday, they travel to Portland to face the Blazers. And Monday, they are back at the Pepsi Center against the Houston Rockets. That is your Colorado Sports Week in Review. Ross Martin, let's start the show. Okay. Welcome to the show, everybody. This is episode number 26 of the Colorado Sports Guys podcast. And Booyah. there's, uh, seems like there shouldn't be a lot to talk about, but there is in what is historically like the slowest week or two weeks of the year of sports. But uh, before we get into that, from denverstiffs.com, the greatest sports blog in the world, we have <laughs> Nate Timmons here. What's up, my people of the internet, my internet surfing people yes ross martin how you doing over there my my co-host my producer the man of a thousand trades that's me and uh and i'm doing very well and and so what we're going to talk about today i am doing very well <laughs> yes. i'm doing a robot voice you should show. do the whole thing in a robot voice okay that would be great <laughs> okay we've kind of fallen off we kind of keep forgetting people about our social media way to connect with us and we want to encourage people to do that so before we go into our show topics just remember to follow us on twitter at colo sports guys that's colo sports guys colo is short for colorado that's why we picked that and sports guys is who we are so it's like colo sports guys yeah does that make sense mm-hmm. uh, friend us on facebook you can find us there you know how to do it email us at show at colorado sports guys.com you can email us ideas for top five lists. Last week, we had one of our best top five lists of top five sports hairdos recommended from a listener we have in Colorado Springs. Matt, thank you very much. That was a great one. I'm currently growing out my, uh, my Detlef Shrimp-inspired flat top with a mullet in the back. That's great. It's yeah. going to take a while, but I think, you know, if... Won't take long. Hair grows fast. God willing, you'll be able to do that. God willing. Yes. And then we, what we haven't talked about in a long time is the Colorado Sports Guys hotline. You can leave us a message and we'll play your voicemail on the show, or you can send us a text message and we'll read it. And you can do that at 720-722-1274. That's 720-722-1274. I think that turns out to be 720-722-1CSG, if I'm not mistaken. 
That's exactly what that turns out to be. Yeah. So uh, go ahead and, uh, you know, shoot us an email or shoot us a voicemail. Wait, shoot us a text or leave us a voicemail. There you go. Yeah. Why, why is it so hard to say this? Fuzz got your tongue, Colorado Sports Cat. <laughs> yes, Colorado Sports Cat. <laughs> but before we go into our show topics, which are plenty, Nate, Timmons, what's up with you, man? Have you ever had, you know, uh, yeah, uh, I have. I mean, what? Dry lips, you know, a need to use chapstick, yes. right? Yeah. So I, I have this every once in a while as well, and you know, I, I, I don't, I don't really ever remember buying chapsticks. I usually get them for like Christmas or. Somebody buys a pack and they'll give me one out of there. I don't know. I, I come You're across a chapstick them. freeloader. Yeah, I freeload off a chapstick or but, thief or thief, whatever. Yeah. But I, I lose them a lot. Like yeah. these things are, and I, I don't lose anything. DVDs, CDs, books, whatever it is, car keys, anything. I don't lose anything. Chapsticks, I can't keep track of these damn things. It's because uh, you don't carry a purse. That's true, and I also have so much crap now. I almost feel like I need a carry-all. You should. You should just get a purse. You got the wallet, the cell phone, which is bad for reproductive organs. It is. The wallet is. The cell phone. Oh, the cell phone is. But I have the wallet, the cell phone, the keys, the chapstick. Love gum. Love to have gum. I, you know, I wear glasses occasionally. Sometimes in Colorado, you need sunglasses. Where am I supposed to keep Always. all this crap in Always. my pockets? You just walk around overloaded with crap in your pockets? Well, here's the deal. you got to be careful uh, if you're venturing into this carrying a purse thing. Well, do I just go with a backpack? No, you don't. You're too old. <laughs> I always see guys showing up at the office with a backpack. I had a guy ask me uh, over the weekend if I was still in school. Because <laughs> you carry around a backpack? No, just he just asked me, oh, are you still in school or you had a school? Yeah, you know, you have a young look. It's Either cool. a young look or a dumb look, right? Like mm -hmm. I need to learn more. Well, I don't know. Were you talking when he asked you this? Yes, I was. I was. Wait. I was keeping score at a at a hockey game at Family Fun Center. Were you like uh, just sitting there being like Obama O twelve, and they were like, "What are you still in school?" <laughs> no, we were interacting about uh, the uh, the squirt hockey game that we were watching in front of us. Is that what they call it now? Squirt squirts. I th I believe. That, squirt. I think he's the levels are weird. It's like Pee Wee squirt. Uh, I don't remember the other two, but they're all funny. It's like you know what I played. You know, you played hockey? No, when I played football as a young child. Okay. It was called midget football. Yeah, midget is one of them as well, I think. I think, think they got rid of that. It. It's now an offensive term oh, for I... short people, so they can't use it. Oh, maybe it's not people. a term for hockey anymore. But now it's just a matter of time before they start calling midget squirts. <laughs> and yeah. they'll have to rule that out. Yeah, and they'll have to rule that out. But I don't know. Keeping, keeping score at a hockey game was actually really fun, man. I had a good time doing that. Well, you probably don't have to do much, right? You just sit there, and then when the horn blasts, well, I wasn't, right down goal. I wasn't, keeping, I wasn't keeping just a goal like being, being – the final score is actually 8-2. to two. Oh. But what I was doing was they had like a, a touchscreen computer program where I was marking uh, the time of the goal, who scored the goal. They have like the rosters of the players in there. Who scored the goal? And these are these kids are nine and ten years old. Wow, it's amazing! Who scored it? Who got an assist? What time the goal was scored? And then if there's penalties, I mark down who got the penalty, what the penalty was, the time for the penalty, Did which is almost down, always like, two uh, minutes. Assists as well. If yes. there was an assist. Uh huh. Yeah, for the goal, the assist. There's up to two assists. I mean, and this this whole thing is amazing. I feel like we didn't really keep stats that well when I was a kid. No. But now you have stats for everything, and it's all it's so easy because it's computer based, right? But it was pretty cool. The final score of the game ended up being eight to two, which you previously mentioned. 
Oh, I did say that? Mm-hmm. Okay. I just got so excited. High-scoring game. High-scoring game, but uh, pretty fun, too. They're not allowed to check. This is my little brother's team. They're not allowed to check at the uh, at that age range yet, but um, as soon as they start doing that, I'll be even more excited to watch some of these games. Yeah, it's uh, that whole can't-check thing, is that just a Colorado thing, or it's are the you age still range. allowed to do that? Your nine-year-old's in Minnesota and North Dakota and – I'd hope not. Whatever. Nova Scotia, can they check? You, I, I mean, I think – Because – I think next year they can. But so that's ridiculous like, you can't check at nine years old. I mean, you could play tackle football at nine years old. Yeah, but, I mean, at the same time with what we know about concussions now, I don't want to see these kids getting oh, blasted and getting injured. because guess what? It's still a nine-year-old versus a nine-year-old when the checking happens. And if it was – me playing against him and I checked him, that could be an issue. But it's a nine-year-old versus a nine-year-old. <laughs> yeah, you know well, what I mean. It's be that like bad. the same. But I think what they want to do class. is, I think they're trying to get the kids to focus more on the actual skill level of skating, handling the puck, passing, shooting, versus just making the game kind of ugly with checks. So I, I do think it's good uh, in, in that regard because it does get the kids to focus more on the actual skills involved versus. I mean, they're going to learn the other stuff eventually. It's going to, it's about to, you know, next year they'll be doing that. So well, it was, so when they're ten, they can check. Is that when the cutoff line is? It'll like eleven, maybe eleven. They should be able to check at any level. I did watch my cousin plays. He's fourteen, and they do check at uh, at that age. Well, it's a it's integral awesome. part of the game. Yeah, it's basically your well, four more years. You can be in the NHL, right? Fourteen <laughs> to eighteen. True. So That's you got to learn how to. Well, what your little brother is doing is basically playing flag hockey. He still smashes people out there every once in a while. You get yeah. penalties. There was two penalties in that game for body checking, which is a penalty at that, that age. But. And the other thing is sometimes in, in hockey, I mean, of course, I've never played it. I don't even know how to stand up on those skates. But a part of the checking is just so you stop because you're, you know, moving so fast. You just there's, – there's a guy in your way. you got to hit him. Yeah. And it's, sometimes, it's a safer way to do it than to try and avoid the collision. It's actually going to cause more problems down the road. Yeah. So, I mean, anyway. And it's, it's like, going to allow these little Nancy kids to continue playing this game longer than they should. Let's weed out these little pansies <laughs> early and often. Oh, man. But, yeah. So, anyway, I mean, chapstick's just so hard to keep track of. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sorry. Back to your chapstick. No, that's true. That's good. I, I mean, I, I wish hockey was around more when I was a kid, maybe. No, I don't. Okay. I had a good time playing baseball. So, you don't want to talk about chapstick anymore? Uh, I just wish that there was some way to. Did they probably make it for your keychain? But I don't really want a lot of stuff on my keychain. I have yeah. my my car key and I have my remote, and that's that's all I carry. That's you know, all I want. You know what I, I don't I want did to look like a dungeon a master. I, uh, I I started purchasing pretty much everything that's non perishable, including clothes, socks, underwear, shirts, everything, laundry detergent, dryer sheets, uh, deodorant, tough actin, tenactin. I buy it all in bulk on Amazon. Oh, yeah. Amazon's a great place to and, shop. Uh, yeah, and what I do is they have this thing where you can subscribe to a certain product. So every three months, I get a new package of laundry detergent delivered to my house automatically. Okay. So I don't have to think about it. It just shows up. I never run out. Same with deodorant. Six-pack delivered to my house Boom. twice a year. Were you rocking Old Spice oh, over there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Definitely Old Spice. Oh, yeah. The blue stuff, not the antiperspirant, the... Blue, just deodorant. Quick question. Do you think there's any correlation between what a, uh, I guess in this case, a mom or dad uses and their kid? Like my dad was Old Spice, and that's mm-hmm. all I use because that's what, you know, I saw my superhero, my 
my role model father using was Old Spice. So that's yeah. what I wanted to use. And that's what you use now? or you That's don't what I still it? use, yes. Do you yeah. think there's a big – like is that a big brand correlation? Is there, are there other people that do that? Like did your, does your dad rock Old Spice? Did my, you have any bearing on that? My dad has always taught me never to use antiperspirant. So doesn't like the aluminum that's in there. He, that, well, his position is that uh, if uh, that in order for a male to cool off, he must sweat, which is true. And if you're going to take some sort of chemical and shove it into your armpits, and that stops you from sweating, then you're just going to be probably wanting to sweat even more because you, you can't sweat. Okay. Right. So right. he thinks it has a reverse impact. I've never even tried the antiperspirant, so I don't know. I don't really pit out that much, so it seems to be working. But that's why my dad uh, doesn't use Old Spice. He uses uh, elk feces. Okay. He takes elk feces. <laughs> rubs it in his arm. Okay. Rock, Rocky Mountain Elk. Uh, the delicious animal. It works. Okay. So you don't probably subscribe to that. The Colorado Sports Wife would probably not enjoy that scent on you. I don't know. I would guess. something visceral about the smell of elk poop <laughs> it could be all right so yeah maybe there's no correlation there apparently your dad uses uh, i see some antlers in the corner over there, in the there studio. are some antlers right so there. probably his i his found those as i was cleaning out my office that was where the, that was the first buck i ever shot when i was 14 years old did you use his species to <laughs> well cleanse your armpits we used it to mask the scent okay yeah of course yeah right. covered in elk crap all the time Fantastic. Um, but but uh, what i was going to say is i started buying uh, i started buying chapstick in bulk okay so i now oh, chapstick yeah. yeah i got a medicine cabinet <laughs> that has just row of chapstick there and i take it out when i need it and it's been a good six months since how I many did you get out. in there like 30 of them or something i think uh came with um about i think it was probably 24 so 24. I'd probably need a new one every couple of days because I would lose mine. Like well, now what first or second trip what, out. What you'll we'll find is if you do that, is then you just have it all over and you have it in your car console. You got it in your nightstand and pockets. You put on a pair of jeans you haven't worn in like three weeks, and there's just chapstick in there. You find it in the wash. So you're find, not washing I can your find jeans it in my like. purse. Like there's six of them in my purse. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. But I wanted to do that. I, I bought it before that hockey game I went to because I was I knew I'd be right on the ice and it'd be freezing. Didn't know if it'd get chapped up. Wanted to be prepared, but. Yeah. Um, also bought some strawberry orbit gum, which was delicious. That but sounds gross. That's what's going on with me, man. I'm uh, I'm, I'm losing chapstick. I'm, I'm taking score at hockey games. Uh, I'm thinking about getting a purse, considering wearing a backpack more. But uh, what's going on with you? That's what I want to know. Well, not much. Um, We've I, learned I, a little. We've learned a little, a little bit. bit. Yes, yeah. about a my too much. Yes, my, about my background uh, growing up with my father, who is an avid hunter. Um, Man but, of nature. But no, what I did this weekend uh, was uh, was it, it was sad Friday night. I stayed in with the Colorado sports wife. Was it the Nuggets game? You were, yes. And they won. They did, but anyway, you were uh, at home with Colorado sports wife. Yeah, and we watched some movies. And uh, I watched three movies back to back to back. Oh, man. I pulled the double features at theaters, which is fun. But Yeah, whenever I go to a movie theater, I'm doing two of them because I hate going to movie theaters. And when I'm there, I'm like, I got to get it in. Yeah. So it usually means the second movie I watch I don't like as much just because my ass is like falling asleep <laughs> and I eat enough buttered popcorn to make myself <laughs> sick. And then you get the popcorn farts. Oh, yeah. I don't know. About oh, those. yeah, yeah, yeah. You ever get those? No. Oh, yeah. Watch no. it next time. My, my system runs pretty clean. Oh, yeah. Next time you have popcorn, you <laughs> just so much air you're consuming that just, you know, you just start farting. Or the butter substance, which the is butter. probably made out of. 
cat skin and who <laughs> yeah. knows what. Delicious cat skin. But uh, the movies I watched were I watched uh, a documentary called uh, Plagues and Pleasures of the Salton Sea. Oh, right. yeah, the Salton Sea. Do you know about the Salton Sea? Yeah, I what do. What a bizarre thing. It's like this uh, inland sea made completely on accident as they tried to mess with the Colorado River, and then it formed this salty uh, inland body of water where they tried to turn it into this crazy resort. Parents are like some hippies or something that live yeah, around now, there. Now it's like an apocalyptic setting of just old developments that have rusted out and yeah. messed up and they have one of the largest populations of tilapia in the world tilapia. in such a, it's a fish right yeah and there's millions of them in there millions. I, eat, I mean i've eaten like, tilapia. yeah it's good right uh-huh. and there's about six million of these fish in there and then when it gets hot in the summer the temperature rises so high when it gets to about 115 degrees in this desert outside of los angeles south of palm springs Combine that with the salinity of the water, they have massive fish die-offs. A million fish will die in a day. And then the birds will die because they eat the fish and they get infected with botulism. Crazy documentary. Check it out. The other movie What's I watched called was again? Plagues and Pleasures of the Salton Sea. I'm going to check that out. It's great. Then uh, I watched uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Oh, love that one. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Not much to say other than it was pretty good, but it was all We tried to figure out for a minute if the if the gorillas used were real or fake, and then we figured out they were fake. They were definitely they were. not fake, but they were very well done. Definitely not I fake? Have, I mean, excuse me. Definitely they were fake. definitely fake. Yeah. They were definitely fake, but they were. it was very well done. I even looked up who played Caesar, and it's an actor that I know. I can't remember it offhand, but I was like, oh, he played Caesar? It's like, I've, I've seen that guy in some stuff. Yeah. It's interesting. Good, good movie. Liked it. But I didn't like it as much as the third movie I watched. And it's kind of funny to sit here and talk about these movies that everybody's already seen months and months ago. But it's Oscar season coming up. One movie nominated for Best Picture, Moneyball. Oh, you saw Moneyball finally. Watched Moneyball. All right. All the hype, all of it, it held up. I was excited really? to watch it. I was Man. concerned because people talk so greatly about it. Wow. It was such a great movie. So well done. Loved it. Brad Pitt was fantastic. Jonah Hill was fantastic. I did find out later that Jonah Hill is not a real person, like his character he played. It's not a real person. They what do you mean? made it that character it... up okay. based on a couple other people, but, yeah. but that actual person didn't exist. Like the guy that I can't remember his name that ended up getting, I believe, the GM job for the Toronto Blue Jays is who I thought it was probably. Yeah, right it after. was like uh, Peter DeSoto or something like yeah, that. Paul DeSoto Paul or something. Paul DeSoto, yeah. yeah. So uh, that was a little, a little disappointing, but I, it didn't matter because it's a movie, and I you know, understand that it's different. And Man, it was... I, I'd read that book right when it came out. Love the book. One of the best reads ever for a sports fan. Uh, one of the best sports books ever. Uh, was kind of excited to see the movie. Not really, because I was like, what are they going to make a movie even about? And I was really disappointed with the movie, and almost – I liked Brad Pitt. He did a good job, but I just didn't think there was much of a story there. I was like – it. It's it's kind of like a cliff notes for the book. Like, go read the book. I almost walked out. I wanted to leave. I was like, this really? is boring. Yeah. Well, the one thing they did is that they theaters. made it look like these players were worse than they actually were. You know, some of these guys. Yeah. You know, I mean, these guys were good players. Yeah. You're they made them look talent. like, yeah, they made it look kind of like Major League, the movie, yeah. uh-huh. you know. And, Especially uh, Scott Hattieberg, like, oh, I have yeah. no idea how to field a grounder. <laughs> exactly. You know? Yeah, like, which I think was uh, like, a I'm never going to do this. But it was still good. Um, and uh, But anyway, I loved the movie. Uh, definitely worth all the accolades it's received. Wow. And uh, I think um, 
Uh, but again, I didn't read the book, which can change things. But yeah, guy, it's, it's tough to live up to a book. It definitely is. I have read some of that guy's other stuff. Michael Lewis, right? He wrote yes. Moneyball. The one book I read by him was called Liar's Poker. Liar's Poker. He has a Wall Street that book. One? I did not. That was the Wall Street book, yeah. I think, was Liar's Poker. Unless so. he did another one. No, this is about like the stock crash in 87 or something. Yeah, well, he was working for Bear Stearns or whatever, and they, were, they would play these high-stakes games of liars poker. Okay. It's a great book. He's a good, he's a good writer. Wrote he The Blind Side as well. Oh, did he really? Mm-hmm. Oh, yep. man. I still haven't seen that movie or read the book. Yeah, maybe check out that book. movie is okay, though. Was it okay? Mm-hmm. Very cool. He does a good job. So that's me. That's what I did. Nice, man. I like that. The triple header. Triple header. So what yeah. did you guys have? You said that you eat a lot of buttery popcorn at the film. I know you probably were snacking on something, right? During like the home? movie? Yeah. Like um, at home, it's fun to cook and eat. Yeah, at home, I right? uh, made up some pizza. Nice. Homemade yeah. pizza? Homemade dough uh, with some store-bought sauce, mozzarella. I'm going to have to hook you up with some uh, some Laprino Foods mozzarella cheese. Oh, yeah. You got, you got the hook up there? Yeah, I do. It's amazing. Ooh, very nice. Well, I don't know if I do. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Yeah, um, you know, I made this crust that uh, wasn't that I used regular flour, and you're supposed to use the double lot flour or double zero flour, whatever that's called. Yeah. It's a little more expensive, a little harder to find, but it was more like a, I don't know, I don't know how to explain it, but the, the crust wasn't that great. Yeah, the crust is key too. I mean, that's the that's, that's the most that's the main thing. piece of the pizza. There. It's the most important thing. Yeah. So, uh, anything else here? I mean, all right. So let's go into our show topics here. <laughs> Let's talk about what we're going to talk now about, sports-related. Twenty, almost 22 minutes in. If anybody's um, still listening, anybody we're going to talk about sports right now. Yes, okay. So what Denver we're going to do is we're going to take a break, and we're going to come back into our topics here. We're going to talk about the UFC over the weekend, uh, the Richard Evans versus Phil Davis It was the, the second showing of uh, UFC on Fox. Yes. And then we're going to talk about the Broncos hiring Jack Del Rio as defensive coordinator. Get your thoughts on that. Always reminds me of a well. food company, Jack Del Rio. Some Jack kind of salsa. Del Rio. Yeah, it does. Yeah, always has. Like Jack like, Del Rio. I bought some Jack Del Rio frozen Salt. taquitos over the weekend. <laughs> yeah. That's, a, that's another guy like we talked about with Carl Mecklenburg that should push a product after he's done. He should just do it now. He's done playing, so he's in his coaching career. Jack Del Rio taquitos. Let's, yeah, let's get those should. going. Yeah. What was that uh, – when we talked to Carl Mecklenburg, what was that product I recommended? I believe that was the uh, Albino Rhino Sunblock? Yes, SPF 77. SPF 77. The key part, yes. For that Norwegian skin. That Norwegian Nordic <laughs> uh, blonde, uh, blue-eyed, pale skin that he and I both share. Um, by the way, if you haven't heard that episode, people go back and find that one. It's like number 20 or 18. Or Dude, something I, like I once got so burnt in high school during football during our uh, our opening practices that i i use zinc oxide in my entire face oh that's the good stuff man but my my face was like kind of red and the zinc is you know white uh-huh. and so it turned my face it basically had a purple face oh my goodness i i took some some crap for that <laughs> <laughs> like uh carl mecklenburg took crap for uh smelling, smelling like baby, baby powder, powder. yeah <laughs> which is something he mentioned in that interview you all should go back and listen to that but uh, then, so we're going to talk UFC, Broncos, Jack Del Rio, and then we're going to talk about the Nuggets. Of course, we're going to spend a lot of time on the Nuggets. Big, big uh, couple of weeks for the Nuggets. They won six out of seven with a six-game winning streak before losing to the Clippers last night. And they have a massive February coming up yes. as well. Yeah, like you had mentioned in the Week in Review and the upcoming week, 
five games this week, and they only had three last week, right? Yeah, and they play a, a back-to-back-to-back set, their second and final one of the season. Yeah, so we'll talk about that a little bit. We're also going to talk about Vicky Ray, the sign lady from MileHighFan.com. This lady is incredible. She has gone to every game in the past 100 years. She wow, not that many. brings you know, a sign to every game. All the players know her. Everybody knows her. She does this all just for her out of the love for the game and for the Nuggets. And Vicky and her husband, Russ, like some of the nicest people you'll ever encounter. Yeah, and so you had an encounter with her and a conversation with her that we're going to talk about a little bit. And um, we're going to do all of that right after a quick break. Well, we started out our podcast back in July. There was a lot of hype and excitement around the UFC coming to Denver for that big John Jones fight. UFC 135. Yeah, that was so fun to talk about, and we thought that we would spend a lot of time on the show covering the UFC and talking about it because it's such a fun sport and an interesting sport to watch this evolve into what it's become. But it, to be honest, it, we kind of fell off it a little bit. and But now, you know, with their transition into doing some public t- or not public but over the airwaves tv uh non-pay-per-view type stuff non-cable type stuff it's more accessible to a lot of people and yeah, i understand they had the deal with uh with fox the big network television deal mm-hmm. and you spent uh saturday night was it watching some ufc was that what it was i did yeah i recorded it and uh i ended up watching the fights uh, i think early sunday morning uh thanks to the trusty dvr yeah so so uh how was it i mean uh, there's the fight over the weekend, right? Um, and then there's another big fight coming up this weekend. Who fought Saturday? Well, there are, and, and I don't want to get so so detailed, bogged down into who fought. I mean, I will mention some names, but more so of is this transition of UFC from uh, a niche sport that has you know been on Spike TV and pay per view exclusively? Is this now something that is working? on a national level, on a network TV level, you know, that is, that is going to be uh, good in the future, you know? Is this, good question. Is this, I mean, I'm not so sure. And I'm, I'm thinking after watching both broadcasts, the first UFC was back in November on Fox, the first UFC on Fox. It was a big heavyweight fight between Cain uh, uh, Velasquez and Junior Dos Santos. It was a fight that lasted um, like a Under minute. a minute, yeah. right? Lasted just seconds. It was one heavyweight fight. And it was just a bang, big punch, brawler, knocks a guy down, it's over. Now, this one was three fights, and it was uh, uh, Damian Maya versus, I, I can't remember the other guy's name. They, it was this, this big bill of kind of an older veteran versus a young kid coming up, big-time wrestler. Second fight was uh, Michael Bisping versus Chael Sonnen. This was a fight that, um, you know, whichever guy wins it gets a chance to face Anderson Silva, who hasn't lost since, like, 2004. He's a monster. Yeah. And then the third fight is uh, between Rashard Evans and Phil Davis. And this fight was billed as if Rashard wins it, he gets a shot at John Jones's title in April in Atlanta. And if Phil Davis wins the fight, and he does so in what they said on Fox is in spectacular fashion, then he might get a shot. 
and he had to win it convincingly to get a shot at uh, at John Jones because his record didn't necessarily precipitate that if he won that fight that it would that guarantee him the a title shot. fight. Yeah, he was nine and zero coming into that fight, undefeated. Had uh, I think mainly was was winning fights with submissions. Not a real big knockout guy, but. But anyway, the overall feel of these fights, I mean, just the, the, the broadcast from Fox, I'd read something, um, uh, MMA Mania, an SB Nation uh, MMA blog, had written an article about Joe Rogan's role in these, in these uh, UFC on Fox appearances now. Like, they're, they're talking about how they're trying to get this thing to be a, a national, you know, every, like beginners, like people that don't watch UFC might be watching on Fox, right? Right. So Joe Rogan needs to kind of step in and Especially really— Especially all the poor kids. Yeah, yeah. People don't want to pay sixty bucks to watch these things, but Rogan needs to maybe explain these things at a real novice, a real beginner level, so people understand what they're seeing, right? And it was kind of a that's the whole feel of this is we're putting it in front of people that have never seen it, so we hope that our announcers can explain it well. We hope that the fights are exciting, so people get excited about it. So you agree with that sentiment that he needs to dumb down the commentary? In I think order a little to bit because make it more accessible. Somewhat. I mean, I think once you start doing something for a while, you forget that. I mean, I, I do that on we do that on Denver Stiffs, where if you're explaining something, you want to, you know, explain it a little bit more when you first talk about it, because there might be people that have never read it or don't know, and you don't want it to feel like too much of a of an of an inside joke type deal or an inside conversation, right? You want to include everybody, so a little bit, but not but too much. The problem with that is then you get like uh, they've done that in the NFL. Right, and then you get Phil Sims up there basically reciting the same five lines over and over again every yeah, and that's single annoying. game. Yeah, you know, saying statements like, "In order to win this game, you got to catch the ball." <laughs> right, you know, and, yeah. and it's yeah, you don't it, want that. And uh, so, in a way, I uh, completely disagree. And they should keep it elevated. They should, you know, make it. They should talk about it as if they're talking to people that know about this, because you don't want to alienate the true fans. Yeah, and also. Honestly, who who wants to sit there and listen to the same boring commentary? And that's what's so frustrating about some of the mainstream sports. Yeah, is that they do have that same boring stuff. They're telling you what you're watching, right? You know, maybe he could say, "Oh, he just punched him and knocked him out." And in, in the UFC, what you got to do is you got to <laughs> deliver more punches than take more punches. Yeah, you know, and that's something you don't really hear Joe Rogan say that much. But he did a, he did a pretty good job of of dumbing it down in certain areas and then being. You know, using using language that he would usually use for jujitsu moves that I don't even know about, unless I'm, I'm like even when they're doing it, like I'm kind of like what? Like the I think one of them's like the 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 crucifix something. Like right. he's trying to get in this crucifix position, and I'm like, well, I kind of know what that means. You know, I mean, yeah. from a religious background, you know what a crucifix looks like, or crucifix, <laughs> whatever. I remember but, hearing him on his podcast talking about it one time. He slipped up and called it a rape choke. On the uh, air. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, and, you know, obviously maybe that might cross the line or whatever. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's know like, well, I, like, imagine Phil Sims being like, well, that's what we used to call the prison tackle where he comes up behind him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just have it work. But the whole, the whole thing about these, so here is my, my, my biggest, uh, my biggest gripe about this thing is, is basically the commercial breaks that happen, right? If you watch pay per view, there's no commercial breaks. And my, some of my favorite stuff to see during fights, I mean, I'm a, you know, we've talked about on here, I'm a big boxing fan. I've been involved, I, I, not been involved, but I, I've been a fan of UFC for a long time as well. And one of my, my things I really love to see is during the rounds, you get to see the conversation that takes place between trainer and fighter. You yes. get to see the instructions that they hand out, and you get to know 
what the trainer is looking for and what the fighter is doing, what he looks like when he's sitting on the stool. Is he, is he gasping for air? Is he cut over his eye? You get to see how they're working on that. Is he coherent? Is he coherent? Yeah. Does he look like he's dazed? And on this, on this, you don't, they go to commercial right when the, right when the, right when the bell rings at the end of the round. So they were doing commercials and I, and I have to admit, I didn't watch this weekend. So they were doing commercials between the rounds, between rounds, which is, that's absurd. Yeah. So you get to see the end of the round, you know, ding, ding, bell goes off, cuts the commercial, comes back, ding, ding, fights back on. So I was even watching the fight and I'm, I'm turning to my girlfriend and I'm saying, was there a. How was it the third round? When was the second round? Did I miss something? And then I figured out I'm not seeing the in between round stuff. Right. I'm not. So I'm not getting that that break, and I'm I'm totally confused. And this is awful. This is terrible. And especially for a casual fan, I think it would be fantastic to see the conversation that takes place in between rounds. Definitely. And of course, there might be some cursing that goes on there. So you might have to somebody with a with a quick trigger finger. But everything on live TV is on what an eight or ten second delay now, thanks to Janet Jackson's yeah. uh, infamous boob slip. They can figure that out. Yeah, for sure. But they you can have that to out. have that. You have you, to. You have to have somebody like Ford or some big company needs to come in and needs to say. Okay, UFC on Fox brought to you by Ford. And during the fight, throw a Ford logo up in the lower right-hand corner. Have something that scrolls by in between round that says, buy the Ford F-150, buy the Ford Explorer. But let us see that stuff that goes on in between rounds. Well, you know what? And that is one of the biggest problems with all sports, not even just UFC, but even in uh, the NFL, in the NBA, you have these extended timeouts. You I love really the NBA when they, when they don't cut away and they show you the huddle a little bit and yeah. they even show you the, the wire. They'll come back. Maybe they could do that, right? right? In the NBA, they have the, the mic'd up to where they come back and they'll show you during the action what the coach talked about during the timeout. They need to do that maybe with UFC well, there's at least. One, there's one uh, sport that is uh, already – it's a mainstream sport in most of the world, and that's in soccer. And they will play their 45-minute halves without commercial interruption. And they'll do that. And I think the reason why they're able to do that is because they have logos on the jerseys, right? On the jerseys, on the field, on they the have field, stuff yes. that are, that's not even there. It's just there from technology, it's, right? Like a Ford logo. Exactly, yeah. So, and they've done that. I've seen that in uh, tennis. They've done that where they have yep. you know the whatever logo right there on the, on the field, like on the tennis court there. So there's always been that talk about when is the winner when is it not going to be the Denver Broncos anymore? When is it going to be, you know, the Sports Authority Broncos and then they're wearing yeah. basically Sports Authority jerseys kind of like Manchester United wears their the big logos on their jerseys. And a lot of people feel like that would take away from the purity of the sport. But I would disagree completely. I say replace these stupid commercials charge these companies, these big companies, exorbitant amounts of money just to have their logo on the jerseys, on the helmets, yeah. on the, you know, you can Well, the have problem that. is owners will want both, right? Let's, put, well, that's uh, the let's thing. put it on the helmet and let's go to commercial. That's the thing is that they'll never <laughs> – the never, TV network will want both. Exactly. They'll never uh, subtract anything and add somewhere else. They'll just keep so, – add somewhere else. They'll just keep adding and adding and adding. Yeah. And there will be a time. I mean, you already see it in the NFL with the Reebok logos on there a little bit subdued but they're there um you already see it in different ways and that i think that's where it should go and they should need to focus more on the viewer experience and this is a perfect <clears throat> example with the ufc is that would you rather just 
throw down 30 or 40 or $50 just to watch the pure uh, sport of it as opposed to buying a bag of Doritos and having that pay for it times a million other people who buy a bag of Doritos. Yeah, and that's the whole thing too for for beginners in the sport is if you can see you know, during rounds the trainer saying, hey, look, this guy's killing you with leg kicks. You need to block those leg kicks and counter with your overhand right or why aren't you throwing that jab? Throw that jab. So you're not getting that inside information of what's going on. You're missing out on the a very key element of the fight you know i mean you're missing out on that big time and especially in boxing i mean that's you know huge in boxing it's the trainer telling the fighter to do something and the fighter never doing it but yeah <laughs> right. so now uh richard evans won right so yeah we he had gets to fight john jones in a few months yes richard evans will be uh he dominated phil davis phil davis I kind of noticed it looked like his the bottom of his feet were maybe sweating a lot, like he was sliding around on the uh, on the ring a lot, and he couldn't get any power behind his punches. I, his his stand up game was pretty awful. I mean, this guy is a six foot two inch, two hundred five pound muscle. I mean, and now I'm like, why do you have these giant muscles if you're not using them to bash this guy's face in? Yeah. So anyway, Richard Evans dominated the fight. Couldn't put him away though kind of a boring fight and i think you could hear some booze throughout but he will be facing john jones in april in atlanta uh the other fight michael bisping and chael sonnen chael sonnen won that fight on a somewhat of a controversial decision uh chael sonnen will go on to face anderson silva chael sonnen had a, had a pretty funny interview after the fight uh, joe rogan asked him you know how do you feel after this fight blah 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 and chael sonnen said you know, kind of interrupted him and was like um joe rogan this 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 night is about you and how does it feel to be so close to greatness and you're standing next to the best fighter in the world? And if you want, like he talks in the third person and he was just kind of funny. He's a clown, right? I mean, I don't know if he's a clown. I mean, he's a weird dude and he's a, he's a heck of a fighter. And so he was, I think some people thought a minute away from defeating Anderson Silva in their first fight. Uh, so that could be a heck of a rematch, but uh, we'll see what happens there. But um, overall, it was just kind of a weird experience. I think there's some stuff that's not translating from the pay-per-view viewings to the uh, the ones on Fox, and I just feel like it's it's more of a dumbed-down version. And they also have – you don't get yeah, it's Mike watered Goldberg. Down for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's watered down. You don't get Mike Goldberg and Joe Rogan the whole time. They actually had John Jones, Randy Couture, and the dude that does the Sunday football games, the host of the, of the show Jake there. Laser. No, is that who no it was? not Jake Glazer. It's the oh, guy that replaced uh, James God, Brown. It wasn't Jake Glazer, but whoever he yeah, is, because Jake Glazer is the dude on Fox, right? Yeah, he's. But this is the guy that does the football horrible. games on Sunday mornings with Howie Long and. Oh, okay. And all those well, Jake Glazer does the NFL uh, pregame show where they like go yeah. off and talk to him, and he's kind of a clown, but then he's also a big UFC guy. Yeah, can't stand that guy for the right. record. But anyway, the big, another big fight coming up this week. Yeah, UFC 143, man. In Las Vegas, it's going to be at the Mandalay Bay Event Center. We got Nick Diaz versus Carlos Condit. Nick Diaz is the guy everybody hates? Everybody but me, I guess. Yeah, I love Nick the Diaz brothers. Stockton, California guys, real cocky, but they're fighting. uh, They're they're going for an interim title in the uh, George St. Pierre is out. He has uh, an injured knee. He's getting pronounced George's. George's. George. George St. Pierre is getting knee surgery. He's got a torn meniscus. So his belt is now, uh, it's basically a vacant belt at that 170 weight. It's Nick Diaz versus Carlos Condit. Both have 27 wins. Condit with five losses. Diaz with seven losses. You know, they, they're the six foot versus six two, 170 pounds. Going to be a heck of a fight. And whoever wins that is going to be the, uh, the interim champion at the moment until. Cool. George is ready to come back and face whoever wins that. Well, that'll be cool. It is an exciting sport. I had a lot of hopes for 
the UFC going on the Fox and the fact that they might be somewhat of a bellwether uh, a leader amongst mainstream sports to show them the right way to do it. This being and Fox somewhat... takes chances sometimes too, right? Like they've always been known as a as a network that'll take chances on stuff. Yeah, but it seems to me, uh, and I had watched the first um, the first on Fox fight night. And it seemed then that they didn't really have it figured out, and they just and they still are emulating. And they're emulating what all the other sports do, and they're trying to take that equation and form UFC around it when they should be saying, this is our opportunity to try something new, figure out a way to make money off of the way that people like to enjoy watching it as opposed to just forcing people to watch this watered-down version. And they brought in for that, for that heavyweight fight, the first one, one of the three commenters for the, you know, the pregame show or whatever you want to call it was Jake Brock. Laser. No, yeah, it was, it was Brock Lesnar. <laughs> like Brock Lesnar was up there with the the two other guys. I believe Randy. Couture. Should I just yell out Jay Glazer every once, every once in a while, in a while and yeah. express my disdain for him? That sounds about right. <laughs> but they brought in Brock Lesnar for that first fight, and he was, of course, it was it was the heavyweight fight. So they bring in a guy that's you know also in the heavyweight division, and and this fight between Rashard Evans and Phil Davis was you know the winner maybe gets to face John Jones. So John Jones was on the panel for this one. And it's like, you know, Brock Lesnar and John Jones have, have zero television experience. And Is not, Brock Lesnar the dude from Greeley? No. Who's that? That is Shane uh, Corwin. Shane Carwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brock Lesnar, though, and, and John Jones don't have TV experience, you know, and they're kind of trying to promote themselves up there. And it's, mm-hmm. I don't know. John Jones, I thought, did a horrible job. And it was like, why do I want to watch this guy just try to talk about himself up there? Yeah. Like, I want to hear Mike Goldberg and I want to hear Joe Rogan, like, talk about the fights. These guys know everything about the fighters. I don't want to see this watered-down product like you're talking about. So it's like a failed – either it's a failed experiment or it does exactly what Dana White wants to do, which is use this national televised venue to promote the next big fight. Yep. And maybe it's doing exactly what he wants, uh, but that's a little disappointing because I think it could be more of a mainstream – more of a mainstream experience. More more, You could get more fans, I think, by putting it on – Fox, but yeah, so yeah, that's it. UFC, Whatever. UFC 143 coming up. Check it out. All right, so let's take a very, very five second break here and talk about Jack Del Rio. There were rumors leading up to uh, the Broncos signing Jack Del Rio, and uh, I thought fantastic rumors, yeah, rumors, and then they signed him yesterday, right? It's official. Dennis I believe Allen's on the 28th, gone. yeah, he was – so two days ago. And so Jack Del Rio, I think this is great, isn't it? It's fantastic. like this hire a lot, I mean, man. It's, it's, this is a guy with a, not just a, you know, a short stint in a head coaching position, but a pretty large – he spent a lot of time in Jacksonville. Well, let me, let me ask you, what do you – what's your overall feel if, if, if I had to say, give me one sentence on the Jacksonville Jaguars over the last five years, go. Uh, overachieving. Overachieving? And I would say weak offense, good defense. True. But they seem to be a team that was in conversation for competing for their division. Mm-hmm. Never, obviously, they are in a division with the Colts, right? They're in the AFC South. Sure. Which is where the Colts are. Yes. Is that true? It could be right. <laughs> Google it. But anyway, it seemed like uh, Jacksonville was always a team that had a lot of talent maybe it's because i play fantasy football with maurice jones drew or whatever yeah but um it it just seemed like a team that maybe was playing uh like a lot of people thought that they could be really good 
You know, they weren't always picked to be last in their division. They never were close to becoming that competitive. But uh, I like the hire. I, I think Jack uh, Del Rio has definitely made some mistakes, especially with him deciding to wear a suit on the sidelines. Passing on Tim Tebow, which was, you know, something that Jacksonville fans wanted that they thought could rejuvenate the franchise. Yeah, especially from Florida. Yeah. But what about him wearing a suit? The the Reebok made suit. I like that. That's the old Tom Landry oh, stuff, man. You know what? It's it was classy. So forced. And Him and Mike so Nolan for San Francisco is doing so it. stupid. So ah, dumb. So dumb. He's trying to class it up, man. But you know what? They're trying, but it's such. Do you want a, him to wear? Do you want to be like baseball, it. where he's wearing the shoulder pads and the pants <laughs> from his playing days? I mean, Del Rio was no. a good player back in the day. Yeah. Well, no. What I want, I don't. What I don't want him to do is to uh, do this. It's clearly just this move he tried to make to drum up some sort of interest in him, or maybe he thought it was going to inspire his team, and so he wears this suit, and I thought he looked so stupid. And not only that, it was a completely ill-fitting suit. You know what I mean? Well, Jack Del Rio is a big man. Yeah, and exactly, and big men can wear suits, and he just needs to get it tailored right. But it just looked <laughs> poor. It looked so bad. It was a poor execution. Well, Reebok was making them, so I don't and know if they really, really know how true? to do it. Reebok was making a Yeah, because it had to be, uh, I believe, at the time that Reebok owned the apparel rights for the NFL. Mm -hmm. So the suits, they the NFL approved them because they did have to get approval to wear them because NFL coaches are required to wear apparel by the official NFL apparel of the NFL, whatever. So uh, Reebok was, they did make the suits for Jack Del Rio and Mike Nolan that season that each decided to wear uh, suits on the sidelines, and Mike Nolan was with the uh, San Francisco 49ers at the time. Yeah, and I, I think it's—I think it was poorly, maybe a good idea, but poorly executed. Remember back in the day when uh, Dan Reeves would uh, wear Rock a suit, suit on the uh -huh. sidelines, yeah, that he also like the had gray like a, tweed jacket, and he had a trench coat on. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. that was cool at least. Well, the famously, it was Tom Landry, right? Had the had the hat, the fedora, plus yep, the suit. He did wear the fedora, and then, uh, you know. Everyone did. I mean, the old Chiefs coach, yeah. Hank, yeah, Vince whatever. Lombardi yeah. wore the big top coat. Here's, here's what I like about Del Rio. Oh, wait, we're going to talk about something other than what he wears. What is his Colorado fashion, guys? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, he's, he's still pretty young. He's 48 years old. He's uh, he, he's a guy that's you know has a great background in football, played linebacker at USC. You know, big time college football program there. You know, you know, <laughs> he was, uh, you know, a third round choice in the 85 draft. He played for about 11 seasons, played for the Saints, the Chiefs, the Cowboys. Most famously for me, at least the Vikings, it seemed like every pack of cards I bought, I had a Jack Del Rio card in there with Minnesota. And they're always <laughs> worth about 55 and cents. went right into the spokes on your huffy. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, wanted that sound. <laughs> what was it? What was that? I don't know. It was not bad. Yeah, whatever. Mm -hmm. But... Jack Del Rio. I Leave mean, the sound effects to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you are there. There we go. Is that good? Sounded kind of like fuzz <laughs> a little bit. Car sports cat. But Del Rio, you know, former player, former linebacker, big guy, tough as nails, commands respect from his players. He's always had good defenses in Jacksonville, and he's somebody that is really going to be able to work with Elvis Dumerville and Von Miller. You know, I mean, I don't know how much the D coordinators are going to get his hands dirty, but I feel like Del Rio is a guy that's. You know, being a former player, it's you always seem to want perfection from the position that you played at, right? Yes, absolutely, and it's a complete upgrade from Dennis Allen. I mean, there's nobody's going to argue that, right? I, yeah, and Del Rio's defense. A, I, I believe from when he was with Jacksonville, he had huge jumps in the in the defensive totals. I think when he took over, they were you know one of the worst defenses in the league, and then they've notoriously been a top ten defense out there. That's right. 
And uh, now the Broncos are in a situation now where they have three head coach caliber coaches for offensive ah. coordinator, defensive coordinator, and head coach. Yeah. I mean, Mike McCoy was very close to getting that. A couple different head coaching positions. Now we have Jack Del Rio and John Fox. I I couldn't I can't think of a better coaching staff. The only thing I would say is there might be too many cooks in the kitchen when it comes to some of the egos that go around that. Because then you add in John Elway, right? <laughs> right. And, and now we're talking about four big time sports dudes, sports minds, successful at all levels. And so maybe there could be some sort of conflict there, but I have a feeling they're all professionals. They all know what to do, and they all know when it's their time to speak and when it's their time to uh, just follow orders. I feel like that John Fox isn't a guy that meddles too much. You know, I think that he's gonna probably he'll, he won't have a hand in the offense very much. I don't I don't think, and he will probably tinker around with the defense a little bit. But I think he's gonna let Del Rio do whatever he needs to do. Yeah, and we and. Uh, Del Rio has already worked for Fox in the past, right? Yeah, back in what two thousand like Carolina. They were with was Carolina that? together, yeah. so and then he went on to Jacksonville. But here's kind of a crazy thing: is you know Lindsey Jones had that great article in the Denver Post uh, about this hiring, and and she had mentioned in her article, you know, that no coordinator since Larry Coyer, who was the D coordinator here from two thousand two to two thousand six, only a four year stint, but no coordinator since him has lasted more than his season. So we've had Jim That's Bates true. in 07, Bob Slowick in 2008, Mike Nolan in 2009, Don Martindale in 2010, and then we just had Dennis Allen last season. So hopefully, I mean, Del Rio, like you said, he's NFL head coaching caliber. Will he get another shot pretty soon? I don't know. I'd love to see him here long term. Right? Yeah, because he'll have one season here and then be head coach somewhere else again. <laughs> yeah, I just, and then that'll be the sixth or seventh head coach in as many years. Yeah. Or not uh, head coach, but defensive coordinator. Defensive coordinator. We need some stability there. Stability there. Yeah, yeah. It's a tough word. That's a tough one. It's like your Worcestershire. Worcestershire. Well, I don't know. Do you really need the stability there? Or is it a good thing to have a caliber of coach that is desired to be a head coach somewhere else? It's good to have that, but you do need somebody there. Like I would I would have almost loved to have a – uh, who's Tampa's old defensive coordinator that was there for like 40 years? Oh, who is Monty that? Kiffin. Yes, yes. Like Monty Kiffin was in Tampa for forever, didn't ever go after a head coaching job, probably could have interviewed for a few. But I think that, you know, when you have guys like Von Miller and Doomerville and, you know, Chris Harris, the young kid, and young safeties, it is good to play under one system and learn one thing to where you know what's expected of you year in, year out, and you can get better at it. If you keep changing philosophies and changing coaches, I mean, you have problems there. Like Alex Smith with the 49ers, their quarterback there has had, I think, seven or eight. And, oh, he's had six seasons there, and he's had, I think, five or six offensive coordinators. Right. And everybody's and complaining about him. Probably a lot of success. head coaches, right, there. Yeah, more than a few head coaches as well. But so you're that... constantly learning plays, and it's like it's going gonna, it's gonna to slow your – like a lot of people are excited that Mike McCoy's coming back because Tim Tebow's going to get to learn the same offensive system and just progress off what he needs versus having to learn a whole new system from somebody else. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, overall, I would say improvement with the coaching staff. The like the hiring. Abs- oh, absolutely. Fantastic. Yeah, and, and if you can stick around here for, you know – more one plus seasons, even better. <laughs> yeah, uh, we'll see. Man, isn't that crazy? The, this Broncos season was so nuts, and now it's the off season, and 
Making moves. Making moves, man. We'll Coming see. Out every tower. I'm uh, I'm more excited and uh, curious about next season than I have been in a long time. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of attention paid to what happens in the draft, what happens in all the training camps and all that stuff this season. I think it's going to be insane. I think we're going to see more interest in that than we have seen in a long time. And we'll get to see Del Rio now that he's here now, and they said he didn't even take a break. You know, he's here in Denver, moving his family here. He's going to start coaching as of today when he got here. And we're going to get to see him maybe have an influence over the draft in April because he's here now in, in January. So he's going to be able to tell the Broncos who he needs, who he wants in this defensive system. All right. So before we uh, take a break and talk about the Nuggets, Super Bowl's coming up this weekend. Or yes. Season. Are we allowed to say that? Super Bowl? Are we allowed to use that term? I think so. Okay, yeah. cool. Super Bowl's coming up. Um, Giants, Patriots, rematch a few years ago. You had made a comment before we started the show that you're not excited for this, and I want you to explain to me why. Okay. Uh, two simple words, or three, or four. Denver Broncos not in it. Is that five? Five, yeah. Five words. That's it? Denver Broncos not in it. That's it? I lose a little bit of interest because they're not in it. I mean, I, I guess I'm more excited for this than I would have been if the 49ers had gotten in. Like, I guess the rematch does it does do something for me because there's still a lot of players on both teams. It is Eli in his brother's stadium. It is Tom Brady in his rival's stadium. So yeah, those are something to it. Those are, those are uh, a lot of the big talking points, I think, that a lot of people use the to biggest. dumb it down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to water it down. I just watered it way down. <laughs> but as far as the matchup on the field, it's intriguing. And it's hard for me to pick against the Patriots. Well, it's funny, too, because Eli said it right before the season started, right, that he wanted to be – he thought he was considered in the same class as Tom Brady, right? So now he gets a chance to once again prove it. Because well, he's 1-0 against Brady in the Super Bowl I'll, already. I'll tell you what, if he wins this game, that won't get him there. But uh, it'll say a lot about who he is. And Going 2-0 and against Brady in the Super Bowl won't put him in the same class? Well, no. I mean, just he hasn't had enough wins. Two Super Bowl I mean, wins? Not even enough appearances. John Elway only had two Super Bowl wins. Well, that's true. And you could say that Eli Manning's not a Trent Dilfer. He's not a guy that's just oh, managing the game. Not. I mean, absolutely he's the not. reason the Giants are having success, right? Yeah, but and they're, and they're a good team, and they're a fun team to watch. and. I, and uh, they have a tough defense. Where do they keep getting these defensive pass rushers, and why can't the Broncos emulate that success? You know, I think it's luck or something. I, I don't know. It's Every just... year they had OC or they had Michael Strahan, OCU Minora, uh, Jason Tuck, and now they have this, I don't know what his name is, Juan Carlos, John St. Pierre Street yeah, University. I think that's right. I think that's right. <laughs> that's it. Juan Carlos, John St. Pierre Street. Yes. University. Polytech. But... No, I mean, I think it's going to be a fun game to watch. I'm looking forward to it. It'll be a good one. Who do you you want to make a prediction real fast? Who's going to win it? Well, give me a score and give me uh, the winner. All right. So I and think, the Super Bowl MVP as well. I think uh, Eli Manning is going to be the MVP. I think the Giants. <laughs> you are just going, told me he's not going to be in the same class as Tom Brady, but you think he's going to go two and zero against Brady? He's not going to be put into the same class if he wins because it's not enough. Who's the first MVP of the Super Bowl? That their, their, their first matchup. I don't remember. Was oh, was it, uh, was no, Eli, it was that was it? Uh, wide receiver? Um, the helmet say, catch? No, it wasn't him. It was the other one. Plaxico Burris? No, not him. I want to say David Givens. Is that a guy? <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> that. Oh, wait. 
David Givens. Yeah, he was in that band with Bobby Brown and, uh, <laughs> you know, that one? Yeah. New Edition. New Edition, yes. No, no, who was that? It was the David something, wide receiver. David Tyree? Might have been. That sounds right. Yeah. Are you Googling it? I am Googling it. Uh, that was a fun game to watch. I watched that game by myself. Oh, really? Yeah. It was so no, fun. No Carlos Sports Wife at that point in time. No, I think she might have been a Colorado sports uh, look girl on the side at that time. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. That's not true. Uh, looks like it was Eli Manning. It was? 2008, Eli Manning, MVP. It was him. So you're saying he's going to go 2-0 against Tom Brady. He's going to win two MVPs of the Super Bowl, and he's still not going to be in the same class as okay, one number right, 12 right. who is. Same class. Okay, same, all right. Same class, but not as, not, as, not as good. I mean, Tom Brady, you have to give him all the credit in the world. He's... Right. Proven himself. He's he lies a step down, maybe, but not by far. I wouldn't say not by far. No, and you I know take two Super Bowl wins. And you know what's even seasons. more amazing is that he will uh, probably already has surpassed Peyton Manning. Oh yeah, big brother. There you go. As a you know the best in the Manning family. All right, man. So give me a prediction. You said uh, Giants. So the Giants will win. I think uh, it'll be around thirty-five to thirty-two. Giants win with Eli being MVP. Yes. Okay, I like it. Absolutely. I'm gonna. I, I want to say that ex- almost the exact same thing. I think the Giants are gonna take it as well. I feel like their pass rush knows something about this Patriots team. I think the the balance of the Giants' offense, the run game with the pass game, is gonna be too tough for this New England defense. I think it's gonna be. Let's go twenty-seven to twenty-one Giants Super Bowl MVP, the Beast Brandon Jacobs. All righty. That's a fair. That's a good bet. Yeah. Brandon Jacobs. Yeah. Boom. That's it. NFL, Broncos, Jack Del Rio, Giants champions. That's all we got. When we come back, we're going to talk about the Nuggets and have a new little segment which we'll describe later. Wait, wait, wait. Actually, hold on. Let me look at my notes here. Yep. Wait. Nope. Nope. I'm wrong. We can take a break, talk about the Nuggets, then do that new segment. Boom. How about that? Let's do it. Denver Nuggets lost to the Clippers last night, Ugh. and that ended a six-game win streak. Yeah. And it was—I uh, watched the game last night, and it was a tough loss because it just seemed like the Nuggets could have won that game. They—they should have. They should have uh, won that game, <laughs> absolutely. And uh, but that being said, you got to lose sometime, right? You can't win every game, and they lost to a good team. It was at home. They probably should have won that, but they're going to get a rematch later in the week at the Staples Center against the Clippers. So, and they'll probably have Ty Lawson for that game. Yes, there without him last night, was he? He was sick, or he had the flu, or something. No, he had a left ankle sprain. Yeah, that's suffered. what I said. Yeah, left ankle sprain. Yes, he suffered that. <laughs> uh, believe against Sacramento and the Nuggets, incredible win, one twenty-two to ninety-three. Yeah, and one of the things that I notice <laughs> as I read the box scores, and it's something I don't notice as I'm watching the games. But when I read the box scores at the end of the game, it's just all the scoring, all the players are in the mid-teens and points, you know? 
Of course. And uh, which is for the Nuggets. Something, yeah, for the Nuggets, which is something we talk about all the time, or we have over the past month. It's about how balanced this team is when it comes to the different contributors every night, and that is a a fun experience from a fan because we get to root for so many different players. But on the other hand is we're waiting for that one guy to just start stepping it up, right? We're waiting for that one guy to come out there and just start scoring 25, 30 points a game. And it seems to me as I watched the Nuggets last night that they're almost afraid of be each guy is afraid of being that guy, right? Because the chemistry seems to be working so well that they don't, want to disrupt that so they want to maybe pass first or there's a hesitation to become that leader out there that scoring leader that yeah, there's offensive just, presence yeah, there's and, just not guys that have done it before so yeah they're they're looking to yeah who's gonna who's gonna finally step up and be like okay i'm gonna do this now is it just me or does it seem to me especially last week i don't remember which game it was i think danilo gallinari dropped about 23 or 24 what game was that? I don't remember what it was, but it seems like he could be that guy, right? You're talking about that Knicks game was, where he was, was incredible? The, yeah, yeah, it was the Knicks game. Career yeah. high, 37 points was against the Knicks. Was that what it Knicks? was? Yeah. yeah. It, it, is, it, is that the guy? I feel like he could be that dude. I mean, they are – I believe the Nuggets are banking on him. He did have 37 against the Knicks, uh, major portion of it, 18 of 20 from the foul line in that game. So he had 18 points there. But I think that Denver is banking on him to be the guy. I don't know if we talked about it on here, but you know George Carl, along with some of the staff guys, before the lockout occurred where they weren't allowed to talk to players, they had flown over to Italy and talked to Danilo about his role and what they thought his role with the team was going to be. You know, So I think that, that that conversation, along with the fact that he is really liking the city of Denver and the team that's built around him, Plus, hearing, hey, we're going to, you know, we want to focus on you. This is going to be your, t- you know, maybe your team. That, that led to him signing the extension here last week. And absolutely, which is huge news. Yeah, major news, you know, to, to get somebody that's as talented as him at just 23 years old to commit to this team for, you know, after this season, an additional four years is, is definitely a step in the right direction. And he has looked like a guy that, he looks like he wants to do it. He looks like the guy that wants the ball in any situation, and he's been getting, you know, he's he's starting to figure out now that if he drives to the rim and he actually, you know, does it with authority, that he's going to get the foul calls, and he's starting to figure that out. And the thing that really disappointed me about that Clippers game was the Nuggets were down two points late, and they they drew up one play for Nene, and they drew up another play for Al Harrington, who had been struggling in that game, and it's like. Why are we not drying up plays for Daniil Gallinari? Why are we not giving this kid a chance in crunch time situations to put the team on his back and practice for what we're probably going to see in the playoffs? In the playoffs, you're going to see tough, tight games, and you need somebody to step up, and we should be using the regular season to allow somebody like him to develop the confidence and the know-how to get it done at the end of games. I think George Carl is just testing the waters a little bit. He realizes that right now the Nuggets are in a good situation. They're second in the West Conference, right? Yep. They uh, just had won six in a row. They were at home against a very tough opponent. And uh, I think that maybe he is using these opportunities to test Nene, test Harrington. And on that first play, it did look good because they they drew up a play for Nene, and they got the, the mismatch they wanted. It was Chauncey Billups trying to guard Nene. And, you know, Billups came off that uh, trying to defend him in the post and had locked on to one of Nene's arms, and Nene 
shoved him off and they called an offensive foul on, on Nene and it was a turnover. But yeah, I think you're right. I think he is, he's testing different guys and seeing who's going to step up and he wants to maybe tinker with different scenarios because he doesn't want to give it to just one guy every night, right? Absolutely. I mean, he has to be feeling pretty positive about Gallinari at this point. I mean, especially having confidence in him, not just as a everyday player, but as the type of guy who can carry the rest of the team on his shoulders, get that call at the end of the games. So, but, but I also think that he is testing it. So do you think maybe with what you're saying, he's not necessarily trying to win every game right now that he's trying to experiment and tinker with different scenarios and situations because he knows his team is going to be in the playoffs. I, I, you know, that's a weird way to put it because I think <laughs> yeah. that George Carl would want to win every single game. Yeah. But I also know that he's been around a long time and he knows that um, it's important to like there's that saying where you lo- win, or learn more in a loss than you do in a win. And maybe by putting Harrington or Nene in the spotlight there, it tells the rest of the team, you know, all right, I'm putting my faith in this guy. And then when it comes down to Gallinari getting that call later in the season, when it's a more important game, uh, whether it's in the playoffs or not, that the other team, the rest of the team sees that and says, yes, I support that. And you, and you've mentioned many times and in in your conversations with your understanding of how George Carl coaches, that he likes to coach as kind of a democracy, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And that, that would be evidence of that, right? As, as you know, you put Nay in there, he's, one of the longest tenured guys on our team. You know, he and, does. He does talk about. George has talked about wanting to, you know, go with who's hot, and he, he's explained his rotation sometimes by saying that he's going with the guy that he feels is is playing the best that night. So I thought it was very awkward that I mean, Nene had been dominating deep in the post, but they didn't feed him that deep in the post on that particular player. They weren't trying to. And with Harrington, he was really struggling, and it seemed like Gallinari was like really. I don't know. It felt like he wanted that. He wanted that ball in that situation. Like he was, he's kind of building up to that. So I, I was still, whatever he was trying to do, I was, I was still disappointed in, in, in not getting somebody like Gallinari the ball in that situation. Yeah. And do you think that the fans are, uh, I mean, obviously the fans have to be excited right now. Oh yeah. You've been to a lot of games this season. Mm-hmm. What's it like in that, in the Pepsi center? I, I, is it, is it electric? Are people, enjoying it are people hesitant to start buying into it or what do you what's your take on i mean i think everybody like if if you just look at denver as as a whole it's kind of a i don't know if you want to call it a totally underdog city but it is kind of an underdog city right like we're not los angeles we're not new york we're not chicago well maybe we feel like we can compete with chicago right like people say chicago is a big market but anyway what i'm saying is i think people at denver like you know, a, a, a working class type team. You know, we're not a big Pittsburgh type team. We're not steel workers here, but I think people can appreciate, you appreciate, I think, more teams and players that you feel like you can relate with in a certain sense, you know, like people that aren't thinking that they're big time superstars and want like all this privacy. Like you like guys that feel like they're humble and underdogs and working hard trying to achieve stuff. A lot of people come to Denver, I think, to you know, to start careers and build on careers here where you're, you're going a a little bit of a different path. You're trying to make a name for yourself in a, in a, in a, in a bit of a smaller city or something, you know? Yeah. I I agree with that. I just feel like people here appreciate this Nuggets team. I don't think there's any hesitation whatsoever to support these guys in that game. I went to, I went to the Raptors game on a, a Friday night and it's the Toronto Raptors. You know, I think they were six and 13 at the time. I think 
even casual fans, myself, I consider myself to be more of a hardcore fan. I think that you know more of our, our all of our people on Denver Stiffs, all of our, our commenters and readers there are really hardcore fans as well. So we nitpick and we talk about things that probably most people don't even think about. Like we had a big conversation. There's stuff going on about Aaron Aflalo's playing time. He, he's coming off a groin injury where he missed two games. He played 21 minutes against Toronto, and then for some reason he only played 20 minutes against the Clippers. And usually he guards, you know, a Chris Paul type guy. And we had Danilo Gallinari at six foot ten guarding Chris Paul at the end of that game. Right. And a lot of people were wondering, was Aaron Aflalo benched? And now I'm wondering, was he is he still injured? Are they trying to limit his minutes? But so that was kind of a you know people are looking at that and thinking I don't know. But I think as a whole, as a whole. People are very excited about this team. I think hardcore fans will always be, you know, looking for ways to get better. But I think as a whole, as a, as a city, like I, I really feel like Colorado is embracing this team, and it's something to be very excited about because, as they've shown, that they really are the second best team in the Western Conference. Yeah, and and what's going to happen, I think, moving forward for the rest of the season, is that we're going to start seeing that lineup tighten up a little bit, and we're going to start seeing a more regular five-man rotation out there, you know, as we get through the all-star break here. Well, they only played five players. Well, right, but what I'm saying is... (laughs) No, I hear you. What what I'm saying is that I think George Carl has been experimenting, seeing what he has, recognizing that there's not been... uh, It's not like a standard issue. Like, it's not... It's not a foregone conclusion who you guys are going to be every night and who you're going to put in there at the second half of that yeah. fourth quarter. And I think moving forward, we're going to see that tighten up a little bit, and we're going to start seeing regular, a regular uh, presence out there. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, Carl has talked about that he likes to use the first 20 to 30 games of an 82-game season, or this season you're going to have to shorten that, probably about 20 games, to figure out your rotation. I think you're exactly right. We're going to see him start to figure out which guys he does trust. Like we've seen – Kosakufis and Birdman kind of used here and there. We've seen Corey Brewer used here and there, and it feels like now that he's kind of benching uh, Kufis and Birdman and he is playing Corey Brewer a little bit more. And I think you're right. I think we will see the rotation tighten up, and we will know which guys he does trust this season. Yeah, and at the end of that game, we're going to see – or at the end of the games, we're going to see the regular guy. You're going to put his best five out there at the end of those games. Five guys he trusts And most. then some of those other guys, like – Birdman and they're going to have to settle into more of a role play type position, and I hope I hope they step up and do it. What's great is I don't see any of the guys, whether they're a part of that core five six guys, or they're just a role player off the bench. I don't see any of them not trying their best when they go out there on the court. Whatever their playing time is, I think they're going to make the most of it. They're going to try their best. And uh, that's one of the positives I see about the situation. And so we'll see that tighten up, and that's going to be fun. Now, we were talking a little bit about the fans and your, uh, you know, you know the way you've seen them in the stadium there and the way they uh, are continuing to support the team. There's one fan for the Nuggets that has never missed a game. I don't, I don't know when the last time she missed a game was, but she'd spent some time with uh, Vicky Ray, the sign lady. Yes, from MileHighFan.com. Vicky and her husband, Russ, 
Horse. Yes. Now they're 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 always at that uh, the entryway, right? Uh, what's that called? The, the players' tunnel. They sit the tunnel, uh, yeah. right at section one thirty. Yeah, right? so, first row there. So she's always there. She's always got a sign. She's always uh, multiple signs. Multiple signs. Yeah. Yes. Now if we uh, saw against Toronto, uh, Linus Cleason, Gary Forbes, former Nuggets, come in, and she'll have signs specifically for them, like "Welcome back, Linus Cleason." You know, we love you, Gary Forbes, like stuff like that, which is very cool. You know. It's great. It's it's uh And we saw before the game too, I'll just say that me and uh, and Jeff Morton got to attend a game with Russ and Vicky against the Toronto Raptors on Friday night and mm-hmm. you know, we did see before the game Gary Forbes came over and you know, talked to them and they're saying, Hey, hope you have a good night tonight but uh we still hope the Nuggets win. Right. You know, took some pictures with them and stuff and it's great to see that from his side too, that he recognizes those fans that really do appreciate him. Right. And he did come over, and it's like a kind of an extended family almost. Yeah, so tell me about that. Now, you were there. How many players came up? You mentioned Gary Forbes. Uh, not, even, not even players. We're talking Nuggets, executives. Masai Ujiri stopped over, general manager. Uh, Melvin Hunt, pretty much uh, the assistant coach. I like to kind of think of him as the defensive coordinator of the Nuggets in a way. Um, some of the uh, the Nuggets security came over. And the head of security for the Nuggets was over. Um Gosh, I'm trying to think. Equipment managers, uh, some some of the staff that's around the area will come over. Players, uh, Costa Kufa stopped by. Like we said, Gary Forbes from the Toronto Raptors stopped by. Uh, Jordan Hamilton, um, you know Timothy Mozgov when he came by. Andre Miller, just you know everybody. It's everybody crazy, right? Yeah. I mean, this uh, she's such a big fan, and she's such a presence there that it's like she represents the hometown when uh, she's there to the players, both current and former all the, and it's like, these are who the, when the players talk about playing for the fans, they're talking about those fans, Vicky. Yes. Right. And, uh, and it's very interesting to me because I was even saying too, I'll make your point. Well, I was, I say it's very (laughs) strange to me because even I will uh, become jaded when my team isn't doing that great. Yeah. And, or if I feel like they're underachieving, I, I might. I, I mean, I try to go to every Bronco game, right? Yeah. But I won't get up and cheer during every defensive stand as loud as I can and screaming and destroying my voice, right? I won't do that. Yet she seems to be just constantly. She never loses faith. And well, that was, and I was really interested too to see what what you know what her role would be during the game because you, you see her before before games she'll be behind the the nuggets basket holding up signs for the guys when they're going through their uh layup drills and stuff and i thought maybe during the game you know myself i'm usually pretty quiet she's she's not i mean she's up yelling at you know yelling at uh calls that aren't made or you know uh, when they're making a bucket cheering on the team very supportive very positive you know which i think is great is something that i think more fans should be like i even noticed that at the uh, that hockey game i was at you can hear some parents from time to time being critical of the kids out there and you hear parents <laughs> being more positive and i think it always helps to be more positive that's just kind of how i see things always I always see glass half full so well it's, just, helps it's me. still at the end of the day it's a game it's a yeah you know, and uh and it's a sport that we most of us have had especially basketball most people regardless of what you played in your, in your life at a competitive level competitive level everybody's gone out and shot hoops well, here's the Pretty other much f- everybody yeah. in the world has a, had a neighbor with a hoop or you had a hoop and you just went out and shot hoops. And uh, it's it's fun. I, I, I see a lot of uh, stuff at the Pepsi Center that makes me think it's not quite as fun as going to like Invesco or whatever, Mile High, oh, because man. it seems like such a 
place to be seen or people people don't wear the jerseys. I mean, or if the you're at a big Nuggets game, though, it rivals any big Broncos game. It's a it's a closed, you know, it's a dome, obviously, which the Broncos aren't. But if you're there for a big game, man, I mean, you almost go deaf in that place. Listen, and when people go nuts for big plays, it just seems louder and more amped up than in Vesco. Yes. But so, here's here's something I noticed that was cool. You said you saw Moneyball uh, this past weekend, right? Mm-hmm. So in that movie, you kind of see Billy Bean's character that Brad Pitt plays. He doesn't watch any games in the stadium, right? Yeah. Like he can't stand to watch it, but he does catch a few minutes here and there in his office, and he kind of goes nuts and breaks stuff or you know goes crazy. So we're watching that game, and we're in you know the Nuggets players tunnel, and Masai Ujiri is standing right right there, like two feet in front of me watching the game. You know, and I'm right. kind of expecting him to be completely subdued, just kind of maybe watch it, maybe smile every now and then, and then disappear at some point, right? Right. So Aaron Aflalo gets charged or gets uh, called for a charge right in the first couple minutes of that game. They call charging, and Masai goes bonkers. I mean, he's yelling at the ref. He's like, oh, come on, ref, what are you talking about? You know, really? like, like any fan in the stadium would have done. And I was just like, this guy that's constructed this team that has, you know, probably has a different perspective on it than we do has the exact same emotions during the game. You wow. know? And it was really pretty cool to see. I was like, man, it kind of is nice to see that he is as emotionally invested as any of the 19,000 people in the stadium. That's interesting because most guys in his position would have to put on some sort of a facade. Right. As in, I'm the executive. You know, I'm not I need supposed to, to show any emotion. Right. Yeah. Almost like I remember when uh, we had Kim Constantinesco or Con- Kim Constantinesco from Predominantly Orange. She talked about being in the press box and how you're not allowed to cheer or show any emotion. Yeah. Right. And that seems to translate also into some of the executive type roles. And uh, so that's kind of cool, right? He was going nuts. So. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. That was the only time he really showed a lot of emotion. He definitely wasn't Mark Cuban. You know? <laughs> right. He definitely <laughs> crosses owner. that line. But. Yeah. But he did show some emotion on that play, and that was cool. I mean, Toronto was, you know, the team that he did work. He worked for before coming to the Nuggets. And it was just kind of nice to see. And then he did at some point disappear, and I didn't see him the rest of the night. But. It was just good to see that little part, and it was it was it was great to spend the game with Russ and Vicky. And I, I told you off air beforehand that they uh, before the game, since they're right by the the, the players' entrance for the Nuggets, um, they do bring a kid down from the three hundred level section. They bring a, a couple kids over, and they let them uh, stand right right next to the entrance there. When the Nuggets players come in, they are high fiving these kids as they come in. You know, and it's just it's something nice to see. You know, people doing stuff that's. You know, I mean, they know they have these great seats and these nice seats, and the Nuggets players have a relationship with them, and they kind of know to come over and high five these kids that you know are up in the nosebleed section, and it's just stuff like that. That's just uh, it's more than the game, and it's just nice to see. And I almost feel like if the Nuggets were, and were they fourteen and six, if they were zero and twenty right now, Russ and Vicky would still be there. They'd still have their signs. They'd still be bringing kids down. They'd still be positive. So it's it's just kind of good to see that there's it's it's more than a game to them. It's you know these players are kind of extended family to them, and it's it's just a just a good experience and something that I think is you know more about being a fan or the right way to be a fan, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, uh, you need to check out their website, MileHighFan.com, and they have a video up. I think it's from YouTube. They put a video up, and it's just music playing with a uh, just pictures of all the memorabilia. Yeah, that she has in their home. It is out of control. The shoes they have, all the jerseys, basketballs, everything signed, and it just goes on for minutes. And it's just 
a constant cycle of shots of all the memorabilia they have and they've collected over the years. And Russ it's hangs like, out there with an, a, a sweet camera. I don't know exactly what kind it is, but he's snapping pictures during the game, and they have them up on his site. He has some amazing pictures up from in the game, gets some pretty funny uh, you know, facial expressions and emotional expressions from players <laughs> from time to time, so it's, it's good stuff. Very good. Well, let's take a break, and then when we come back, we have a new segment called What If of the Week, which – you're going to talk about, Nate. The what week. if of the week. The what if of the week. Yes, sir. Where you talk about the shoulda, coulda, woulda, and sports are life. Or life, yes. <laughs> Tonight it's going to be Chauncey Billups, which should be interesting. I understand you broke this down very well. Yes. <laughs> We're going to talk about that when we come back. segment of episode 26 here a new segment called what if of the week where we talk about the shoulda coulda woulda in sports or life today it's sports nate timmons you are going to talk about what would have happened if chauncey billups never left yes so break it down nate okay so if chauncey billups was still a denver nugget he'd be making 14.2 million dollars this season and here's what the Nuggets roster might look like. At the point guard spot, we'd have Chauncey Billups. His backup would be Ty Lawson. And his backup would be Julian Stone. Shooting guard, they'd have Aaron Aflalo. And I guess maybe DeMar Carroll would be his backup, who is on the team but hardly ever suits up. Yeah, yeah. Small forward, we'd have Daniil Gallinari. His backup being Al Harrington. Power forward, we'd probably have Nene. Chris Anderson is his backup, and uh, rookie Kenneth Freed is his backup. Right. And then we'd have at center Timothy Mozgov and Costa Kufis. That would be the team that we'd have here. Oh, there's some big, some big names missing. There's some names not on there, right? Yes. Okay, so here's, here's kind of why we're missing some of those names. Some of those names that we are missing, Rudy Fernandez, Corey Brewer, Andre Miller, yeah. Jordan Hamilton. Okay, so here's why we're missing those, those names. If Chauncey Billups was never traded, the Nuggets would never have received from the New York Knicks Raymond Felton, Daniil Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Timothy Mozgov, a 2014 first-round pick, and Costa Kufis. The New York Knicks probably maybe never would have received Corey Brewer, who was then traded to Dallas and who was on that team when they won the title last year. Right. And if Dallas never received Corey Brewer, then of course when the Nuggets made their trade of Andre Miller... And Dallas's the, the Nuggets made a trade where they received Andre Miller and Dallas's first round pick, which turned into Jordan Hamilton. The Blazers received Ray Felton, and the Mavericks received Rudy Fernandez. Interesting. 
And if that trade never goes down, then the Nuggets wouldn't have been able to flip a second-round pick to Dallas and obtain Rudy Fernandez and Corey Brewer. Which Rudy Fernandez has had a few good games in the past couple of weeks, has he not? He's had a couple phenomenal games. Right? Yeah. I think earlier when I was talking about uh, Daniel Gallinari with that 23-point leading scoring, that was, that was Rudy, Rudy Fernandez, Fernandez against the saying. Raptors. Yes. Yes. Which was a great game. Yeah. And we would never have had his uh, handsome face and all the adoring female fans. Of course. Yes. Yes. So the Nuggets essentially turned that that uh, that trade of Chauncey Billups into the following players. They they turned it into Andre Miller, uh, Dallas's first round pick, which was Jordan Hamilton, Rudy Fernandez, as well as Corey Brewer. Which I think are, everyone could agree that that's a pretty good addition, right? That's huge. And uh, and then of course, Chauncey Billups, who has bounced around the league quite a bit, but has definitely proven to be a uh, a solid superstar on a lot of great teams. But are we better off now with uh, the way it turned out than if we had Chauncey Billups still? Well, I don't think that we'd also we wouldn't be seeing Ty Lawson starting for the Denver Nuggets. There would be no reason to move Chauncey Billups to the bench and promote Ty Lawson to the starting point guard in Denver. I don't believe that's something George Carl would ever would ever do to Chauncey Billups while he was still here, while he was still a member of this team. He wouldn't demote him like that. He is the veteran. George Carl does trust veterans. Uh, and the reason that he has been able to do this move with Andre Miller coming off the bench is because Andre Miller wasn't here. He wasn't a part of this team. He was brought in via trade, and he was able to then say that we traded Raymond Felton. We gave the reins, uh, you know, it was between Felton and Lawson. We chose Lawson. We traded Felton. So whoever comes in here is going to be the backup. We don't know really what we have gotten out of Jordan Hamilton, but let's break this aspect down. So... If the Nuggets never would have made any kind of a trade, this season they'd be paying Chauncey Billups, Carmelo Anthony, and Ronaldo Balkman a combination of $34.3 million. Three players, Billups, Melo, and the never-used Ronaldo Balkman. Right. Instead, the Nuggets took that $34.3 million, and you could say they they made it $34.4 million, and they turned it into this cast of players. Nene, Andre Miller... Aaron Aflalo, Corey Brewer, Rudy Fernandez, and Jordan Hamilton make a combined $34.4 million this season. Wow. So instead of paying three players, the Nuggets, instead of playing three players and using only two of those three, the Nuggets are paying six players and using five out of those six in the regular rotation the exact same amount of money. Yeah, and uh, you, we, wouldn't, we probably wouldn't have Nene at all, right? Is that what you're saying? Like, well, they did use the money that they, they freed up $14.2 million in the Billups trade. And they they took on Andre Miller, who makes basically half of that at $7.8 million this season. And they re-signed Aaron Aflalo and Nene at higher amounts. Nene only about $3 million higher than what he was making from 10 to 13. Aflalo, I think, had a jump of – he had a big jump. I, I don't remember what he made last year, maybe $2 million, and he went up to 75 so they were able to use some of that extra money that they freed up in that deal. I mean, just looking at it, three guys versus six guys, what would you rather have there? I mean, the way that George Carl has been coaching and the way that the Nuggets have been using those guys, five of those six are playing an integral role with the team. Where only, you know, you're, so it's basically 
two for five. Yeah, and it's not just any. I mean, these players that you talk about here, they're they're contributing and they're. Yeah, Nene averaging nearly a double double. Andre Miller, when he's starting, is averaging a double double. He's averaging, uh, you know, a good amount of points and assists when he's not starting. Aaron Aflalo trying to work his way back in, you know. But uh, we've seen Corey Brewer lead the team in scoring this year. Nene's done it. Miller's done it, and Rudy's done it. So four out of those five players have have had different games where they've basically won games for the Nuggets this season. You know, by being the leading scorer that night and and taking that whole role of a different man every night. So. And, and we'll see how it plays out for the rest of the season. Obviously, Chauncey Billups lit us up the other night, last night, I guess. Was that just last night? Yes, yeah. last night. Last Six of night. 12 three-point shooting for Chauncey Billups. Lit us up. Uh, and uh, and then that microcosm, you'd say, oh, wow, it'd be nice to have him on the team. That's what but a lot we'll of people see. are saying today on Denver Stiffs. Man, well, sure it would be nice if he was still here and – don't you still wish Chauncey maybe he can come back next year? And it's like, hold on. He had a good game last night. Thirty two points, fifty percent shooting from downtown, but on the season he's shooting thirty three percent from the field, which is atrocious. You never want to shoot under forty five percent from the field. And then from three point he was shooting thirty five percent. And he so, probably felt very comfortable in yeah. the stadium. Also very Revenge motivated. Factor. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm sure he made a statement. Uh, before he uh, wound up with the Clippers about him not being the nice guy, not being the role player. He's not not going to take a backseat to anybody exactly, anymore. Exactly, exactly. And so, and and now he's in a place that's a uh, in L.A. right now. It's Laker Town, right? But uh, he's now in a place where there's a battle now between the Battle of L.A. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> which is so funny, right? Yeah, it's like gosh, they can't even support one NFL team, but they have two NBA franchises in their city that are flourishing. Yeah, they're both flourishing, and uh, I, it would be so it'll be so fun to watch this game. Um, is it Thursday night? The Nuggets go to L.A. to play the Clippers. Yes, and uh, I have to expect the Nuggets will be super motivated to play this game, and uh, and maybe Chauncey Billups, maybe it'll wear off a little bit. Yeah, you you ha- I mean, I was expecting at some point last night for it to wear off with their entire team being successful from downtown. It seemed like every time the Nuggets would open up a six-point lead or an eight-point lead, the Clippers would hit a couple threes, and it's like, oh, geez, what, is this going to, you know, what is it? Uh, the law of averages has to play out at some point, but it really didn't. It was crazy. And, you know, got a lot of Nuggets fans, I guess, longing for Chauncey Billups back. But it's like, hold on, you know, he's 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 not who he was. He's only getting older. And look what we wouldn't have if he was still here, right? Exactly. And and I think your position is that we're much, much better off. I think so. We got younger with the trade. We saved money with the trade. We were able to spend more money in different places. We were able to turn the team over to Ty Lawson, who needed the team turned over to him at this point in his career. He's got to start – you know, stepping up, and he has looked like you know. He, there's been talk about him being an all-star this season, so you couldn't have him coming off the bench. You wouldn't have Ty Lawson starting. You wouldn't have Rudy Fernandez and Corey Brewer coming off the bench and giving the Nuggets that dynamic scoring threat and defensive presence. You, and wouldn't, you wouldn't have you wouldn't have Nuggets Andre Miller. Team, it's second place. You wouldn't have a second place Nuggets because team. everybody thought this was going to be a huge rebuilding year, and the fact that this team is competing. For a playoff spot, I know it's early, but the fact that they are in this number two spot and they have a great record, and, and if they stay there, they're, they're going to be in the title contention talk. A lot of points too. Yes, Nuggets are scoring a bunch, and they're uh, and they're playing well, and they're so fun to watch. So, I, you know, I think that the, the Nuggets at this point are overachieving. 
uh, above all expectations. And uh, so we'll only see. Yeah, to say that they're overachieving, though, would, would indicate that at some point it's going to fall back to earth, right? And I'm not quite sure as this season progresses that they are going to come back down. I think. Well, they I'm might saying they're overachieving based on the expectations, on expectations. Okay. before the season. And uh, when you look at each individual player and you say, you know, we don't, we don't have that one guy that in, historically you would need in the NBA. Nuggets are the, uh, yeah, don't have that one guy, but yet, like you mentioned, they're still scoring a lot of points. Tons of points. And actually, they're scoring 105.8 per game, which leads the NBA. Which is fantastic. They're the highest scoring team in the NBA. That is awesome. And they're the highest scoring team in the Western Conference by over five points. Oklahoma City averaging just over 100. Nuggets at 105. And then you look out east, and it's you know Miami scoring 103 a game. There's only three teams in the NBA averaging over 100 a game, and the Nuggets are the top one. When the Nuggets make it to the playoffs, which I'm sure they will, yes, will we will we miss Chauncey? Will we miss those guys? And right now, it's easy to say, what if? What if Chauncey Billups stayed on? What if we didn't trade him? And now he was on the Nuggets. And it's not easy to say right now at this point that yeah, it's a better deal. It's a much better situation. But when the playoffs come in and the game changes and everything slows down and it's more half court, are we going to be in that same boat? Yeah, and I think that if you look at it, you know, I mean, Chauncey did win a finals MVP when he was back in his prime with the Pistons. But if you look at Andre Miller, what's so much different about Andre Miller versus Chauncey Billups? They're both very savvy veterans. Uh, Andre Miller makes half of what Chauncey makes at seven versus 14 million. And he, he can score. You know, he doesn't score from the outside like Chauncey does, but he's he's very effective, you know, all around, just outside the paint, getting to the rim, drawing but Chauncey fouls. Billups will be a starter. Andre Miller's playing out, coming off the bench, right? But in crunch time, Andre but, Miller is one of the five that George uses. And crunch time, it's typically Lawson, Aflalo, Gallinari, Nene, and then it's either, what did I say? It's, it's, it's typically Lawson, Miller, Gallinari, Nene, and then he's been rotating that fifth guy in between Al Harrington and Aaron Aflalo and Rudy Fernandez. So, I mean, Andre Miller's a guy that's like Chauncey. He's going to be there at the end of the game, and he's he does, I think, everything that Chauncey Billups does in a different way, but he still brings all the intangibles, all the on-court ability that Chauncey brings at a, at a cheaper price. But, I mean, I, I'm not trying to argue with you here, but Andre Miller's never been the big shot guy you don't give him the ball at the end of a game no his name's not mr big shot right. but right he did win a game for us in philadelphia though well, he that, scored 28 and he has proven that he can get it done when he needs to that's true that's true so i don't know it's an interesting it's the nuggets are going about it a different way and if if Billups was still here we wouldn't have this team in front of us right now and, and absolutely and at the very least it's a good business move and uh it also sets up the nuggets for a lot of room to get even better after the season, not discounting what could happen the rest of the season, but the fact that we have all these young players and there's still a lot of room to work with probably after the season, depending on what happens. Yeah, and we still have the big question mark in Jordan Hamilton. I mean, nobody knows what we've gotten out of him yet because yeah, he hasn't when is, played. When is uh, his season over? No, 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 excuse me, not Jordan Hamilton. You're talking Wilson talking Chandler? About, yeah, 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 excuse me. Wilson Chandler, if his team doesn't make the playoffs, he could be back here from what we're hearing now, February fifteenth. And that's probably that's like a month away. And he's probably more inclined. Oh, it's two Less weeks. Than, yeah, two weeks. He's away. probably more inclined to come play for the Nuggets now because it's kind of his choice as a restricted free agent, right? Yeah, he's, I mean, he can talk to other teams, and they, there's rumors about certain teams trying to free up a bunch of money to be able to make a run at him. But 
but he's probably more inclined now to come back and play with this team than he would have been before the season started, seeing as the Nuggets have had some success. Yeah, I mean, you would think so. I don't, I don't exactly know what his philosophy is or what he wants. Does he want to start? If he wants to start and play, uh, you know, in the fourth quarter and be a crunch time guy, I don't know if he's going to be able to do that in Denver. I mean, I'm not sure if he's he's not going to start here. Danilo Gallinari is going to start here. He's he's maybe going to be during crunch time. I don't know. I mean, it depends on what's important to him. But yeah, I mean, if they do add him back, it's like wow. And he'll have got all sorts of players. And that would be a, a solid two months of playing, right? Yeah, basically half the season. Still. Yeah, I was looking at it. If he came back, if this team does make the playoffs and he comes back in mid to late March, he'll be here for about 20 games, which is Oh, their, really? Is it that few? Yeah. yeah. But if they don't make the playoffs and he's back in two weeks, then he's here for a whole heck of a lot more. I mean, that's another month worth of games, another 15 games probably. So about you know 35 games. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. What if? What if, man? I'm... I love Chauncey Billups. I have his number seven jersey from when the Nuggets made that Western Conference Finals run. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm not glad he's gone, but I definitely see the reasons why the team traded him. And I definitely think that it's a better team for that big trade that they did make. And I think that the Nuggets are in a better place without him on the team. I agree. Now, that being said, before we get out of here, is this – and it's kind of a weird – question based on the recent history with the Nuggets and all of the changes that have been made is this the Nuggets best opportunity to make it to the finals that they've seen in the past six years 100% yes isn't that crazy yeah I mean that's insane to think about I mean it really it is because they went to game six against the Lakers in the Western Conference finals but it's like that was the Lakers, that was Kobe Bryant, that was their Twin Towers, and their, you know, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, and their extreme great bench guy, Lamar Odom. You know, that was a tough task. That was a big task. And this season, it just seems like there's not Oklahoma City's their biggest roadblock, and Oklahoma City's surely not the Lakers, right? Uh, you're right, yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, I have a feeling here, Super Bowl's coming up this weekend. Uh, after that, I think that'll finally put to rest all the Tebow talk because there's still Tebow talk. Until like April. <laughs> yeah. But I have a feeling that it's going to get really exciting around here, around the Nuggets. Yes. Not that the true fans aren't already excited, but there's going to be a lot of outside excitement, a lot of uh, call it bandwagon, if you will. The which... casual fan, the fan that's, you know, the Broncos are his number one team or her number one team and Nuggets come number two. And now that that stuff's done and yeah, then they start focusing more on basketball, right? And we'll see a lot here in, in 10 or 15 more games that they play. And that's a whole going to, lot. Yeah. We're going to see so much. We're going to see, you know, a lot of rematches. We're going to see a lot of, uh, teams that we that the nuggets haven't played yet yeah there's february is a brutal schedule we get our first crack at oklahoma city on yes, february which will 19th. be a huge huge game yes and uh and that'll set up a lot of the playoff matchups down the road and so i i just i feel like it's percolating and it's kind of quiet it's almost reminiscent of how uh people it's different, but you know how a lot of people didn't have a lot of hope for the Broncos season. Everybody just thought it was going to be one of those humdrum seasons where, okay, here we go again, another rebuilding season. But now the Nuggets have quietly positioned themselves to be a 
dominating force, and they really can. And that's the craziest thing is they really can dominate, and they've proven it. Yeah, and they, you know, and anytime you get a six-game win streak, with most of those games coming on the road, yes, five of them coming on the road. Insane. Yeah, and so this is the first time. If you look at it, the Nuggets, are seven and three at home and seven and three on the road. Uh, I, one of our readers pointed out, he's like, if I saw the Nuggets were fourteen and six to start the season, I'd think that they were nine and one at home and five and five on the road. That's a good point, and that's true. Yeah, but that's the biggest thing in the playoffs is you have to be able to win on the road. And if this team, sure, you want to be able to protect your home floor, and that's its own story. But on the road, you want to be able to not make a difference what court you're playing on, what fans are in the stands. You want to be able to go in any stadium and you know kick the other team's butt. Absolutely, and it's more evidence of it being a very well-balanced team from each individual player, each individual position, the coach himself. It's all well-balanced, and then you look at the, the record itself, 7-3 home, 7-3 on the road. It's fun. It's a lot of fun, and it's it's different. You know, like you you were saying, it, it might be kind of like that old Broncos season, and it might also be like that old Nuggets season when we traded Allen Iverson for Chauncey Billups, and people were saying nationally that the Nuggets, you know, oh, here comes the Pistons again. They're going to make this great run. They got Allen Iverson back, and I remember me and at least my friend Rich were saying, man, we have a true point guard now. We have Chauncey Billups. We have a legit player that's going to really propel this team. And that's when they made their Western Conference Finals run. And now we're looking at the team and you say, wow, we have you know, great players every position and we're going to be able to have a great regular season and they're going to be able to do some great things hopefully in the playoffs because they have so many guys that are going to be gaining a lot of experience during 66 crazy games. Crazy. So I said from the beginning I thought this shortened season would benefit the Nuggets. As yeah. a young team, you know, so well, I guess maybe I'm being proven right here. Yeah, and if they, I mean, who knows what happens. <laughs> maybe they finish with the number one seed out west. They're only, you know, two and a half games behind Oklahoma City right now, and we haven't played them yet, so. Yeah, and uh, and all it takes is uh, another winning streak like we just had to get two or three games ahead of Oklahoma. Yeah, and this so. will be a tough, it'll be a tough month in February for the Nuggets. They face a lot of of teams that look like they're going to be in the playoffs this season. And it starts tomorrow, the end of January, when they face the Memphis Grizzlies. Memphis lost Zach Randolph for an extended amount of time, but it's still going to be a very tough game. And every game in February looks tough. I think they play 14 games in the month. And if the Nuggets can come out with a winning record in February, then they're going to be, you know, maybe the talk of the NBA. Fantastic. Yep. So let's get out of here. But before we do... Who should we dedicate this episode to? Episode twenty six. Episode twenty six. You know, this we is have our uh, basically our six month anniversary, kind of right? Oh, Half man. a year. I'm usually throwing these dedications out, so what, let's let's have you uh, throw one out this time. How about that? All right, here's who I'd like to dedicate this game to, or this this episode to, and it's to the man who I think is most responsible for the Nugget success. Oh, thanks, man. I want to dedicate this to. <laughs> Andrew Feinstein and Jeff Morton. <laughs> the two key cops of Denver Stiff. <laughs> two, and then, and then they have a sidekick now. <laughs> no, uh, I, did we dedicate, who did we dedicate last week's to? Uh, I think Aaron Aflalo and Rudy Fernandez for trying to recover from injury. We did? Yeah. Okay, well, I want to dedicate this one to George Carl. Uh, 
Because he needs he needs some help after his weird rotations against the Clippers. He needs a little help. I told you, man. He's experimenting and he's proving to the rest of the team that uh, there's got to be a guy that comes out there and leads the team at the end. And the only way to determine who does that is by giving everyone a chance to do it. All right. And so I think George Carl, the uh, new superstar of the Nuggets, the new <laughs> face, not new as in he just got here but knew in that he finally is getting his opportunity to coach a team that cares about being a team. George Carl, this one is for you. I wish you a fantastic February, and especially over the next week. Five games before we come back here in the studio? Yes, five games. Five, five crazy, games. Including a back-to-back-to-back, which starts tomorrow night. Tomorrow night. Are they all at home? No, no, no. They're all Tomorrow night is... Uh, tomorrow night's Tuesday. Excuse me. They start Thursday. Thursday they play in Los Angeles against the Clippers, and then they fly from L.A. to Denver to face the Lakers for some reason, and then they get to fly to Portland to play the Blazers on Saturday. So Los Angeles to Denver to Portland. Well. Schedule makers, what is wrong with you? <laughs> we talked about that earlier in the season. Why not stay in L.A. and pl- just play the Lakers at home? L.A., L.A., and then Portland, and then come back to Denver. You going into games this week? Uh, I'm going to go to the Los Angeles game in Los Angeles and the Portland game in Portland. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Well-traveled. You can uh, hang out with Benjamin Hockman then. Yeah, that'd be nice, right? No, I I, I don't foresee myself going to any games this week. Uh, Maybe I'll I'll get lucky and go to one. Who knows? Fantastic. Well, that about does it, right? Yeah, you cheersing right now? You got your your glass up? Let's cheers, man. There you go. Cheers. Yeah. Hey, Nate Timmons, when are we going to see everybody? We'll be back Tuesday night. And we'll see you guys next week.